0: 1 Samuel 18, starting at verse 6, and we'll read all the way to verse 30. This is God's word. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, that is Goliath, the women came out from all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul, with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands. And David, his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they've ascribed thousands, and what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had a spear in his hand, and, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David, because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and he came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Then Saul said to David, "'Here is my elder daughter Merab. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles.' For Saul thought, "'Let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him.' And David said to Saul, "'Who am I, and who are my relatives? My fathers clan in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king.' But at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel the Mehoathite for a wife. Now Saul's daughter Michal loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him that she may be a snare for him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, therefore, Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servants, speak to David in private and say, behold, the king has delight in you and all his servants love you. Now then, become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke these words in the ears of, ears of David, and David said, Does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law, since I'm a poor man of no reputation? And the servants of Saul told him, Thus and so did David speak. And Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, The king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies." Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servant told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time had expired, David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter Michal for a wife. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So so Saul was David's enemy continually. Then the princes of the Philistines came out to battle, and as often they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. This is God's word. Let's go to him in prayer. Oh, Lord, our God, we pray that you'd be with us as we study your word. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you are saying to us, that we might learn how to become disciples, faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear our prayer, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm curious, quick show of hands, how many of you love social media? Anyone? One person? How many of you hate social media? A few more people? How many of you have a love-hate relationship with social media? That's probably me. I like it sometimes. Sometimes I don't like it. Well, this week I read an interesting article about social media by a writer named Alexandra Samuel. She writes this. Probably the best opening line of any article I've read all year. Here it goes. If we're Facebook friends, I probably hate you. (laughs) Not all the time, but intermittently and with the burning hatred that only envy can inspire. My envy can be inspired by the personal or the professional, by your delightful and picturesque vacation, or by your new and fabulous job. It can be provoked by something shallow and materialistic like the boots you're wearing in your latest selfie or by something human and meaningful like your child's latest academic success. It can be directed toward your success in a field of endeavor that we share like writing or a field of endeavor I wish I'd thought to pursue like the law. It can focus on something tangible like the size of the mansion that you just bought or something intangible like how you're able to be content in your tiny little bungalow. Envy is profoundly woven into the experience of using social media. I also read another quote, this one from a 23-year-old named Alondra, in an interview with USA Today just last week. She said, if I find myself feeling sad and self-deprecating... I know it's because I'm consuming too much social media. I I especially feel this on Instagram, where I find myself comparing myself to other people. Nathan, a 20-something from Wales, gained over 100,000 likes and retweets when he wrote, Instagram is a ridiculous lie factory designed to make us all feel Inadequate. Why is that? Why does social media make us feel inadequate? Why does it make us feel anxious? Why does it make us feel envious? Why can't we celebrate when we see fabulous people with fabulous families doing fabulous things in fabulous places around the world? Why do we play the comparison game? Why do we compare ourselves to our friends and family members? Why do we compare ourselves to strangers, to people we don't even know? Why did Saul compare himself to David? Why did Saul try so hard to destroy David that he ended up destroying himself? This morning, we're going to talk about envy. Envy, on the surface, appears to be one of those respectable sins. We know that envy is wrong. We know that we should not envy other people. But for most of the time, we don't really pay much attention to the sin of envy. How many of you, this morning, during the time when we confessed our sins silently before the Lord, confessed the sin of envy? Anyone? I didn't. In fact, over the course of nine years, nearly nine years, where we've been gathering together to worship together and confess our sins together, I cannot think of a single time when I silently confessed the sin of envy. It seems so normal, so blasé, so part of our regular, everyday American culture, that we hardly even think of it as a sin. And yet, envy will consume you. Envy will destroy you. Envy will poison your relationships with other people. And eventually, envy will poison your relationship with God. Where does it come from? How do we get rid of it? If, if I delete my social media, will it go away? King Saul didn't even have social media. If you're taking notes this morning... Here's the outline. We're going to look at the story of David and Saul, David the shepherd, Saul the king, and as we do, I want us to ask three big questions about envy. Envy. First, what is envy? Second, how does envy tear us down? And third, how does the gospel build us up? So what, in, what is envy? How does it tear us down? And then third, how does the gospel build us up? How does the gospel enable to celebrate other people's successes? How does the gospel give us contentment? How does the gospel give us grace and peace? Let's take a closer look. First big question, what is envy? Verse 6, as they were coming home when David returned from striking down the Philistine, Goliath, The women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, with musical instruments. So far, so good. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. And he said, they've ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they've ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the king kingdom? And Saul I to David from that day on. As I studied this week, I found a lot of great quotes about envy. Some from Dante, some from Aristotle. One from my favorite singer, John Foreman from the band Switchfoot. Here's the best one i found. Envy is being unable to enjoy what someone else has because of comparison and being unable to enjoy what you have because of resentment. In other words, envy is a toxic blend of comparison and resentment. Envy, the author continues, says, He, but I. He drives a Lexus But I drive a Toyota. She is a size two, but I am a size 12. He has a beautiful, gorgeous, illustrious house, but I live in a tiny house. He has a a, a tiny house, but I live in an apartment. She has an apartment, but I live in my parents' basement. He has a happy marriage, but I have an unhappy marriage, but I am widowed, but I am divorced, but I am single. Why can't I have what this other person has? Now, it isn't necessarily a sin or a problem to compare ourselves with other people. We do that naturally all the time. Pastor David is taller than I am, and Pastor Sean is younger than I am, and my wife Kate is in many, many ways much more talented than I am. She is a wonderful musician. I am not a musician at all. She's a stupendous singer. I am not a good singer at all. She has two master's degrees. I have one master's degree. If the trend continues, my children will be smarter than me. I've come to accept this. Frank Drew is more handsome than I am. Mercer Sport has better hair than I do. These are just statements of fact and reality. Envy is what happens when that simple act of comparing ourselves with other people, which we do all the time, it's perfectly normal, gets mingled with toxic resentment. Envy resents the fact that someone else has something that we don't have, whether it's fame or beauty or wealth or talent or prestige. Envy says, why can't I have what she has? It's unfair. That's why envy is ultimately an accusation that we level against God. Envy says, God, you have not given me what I deserve. It's not right. It's not fair. Why don't I have what that other person has? I should have what that other person has. Envy craves recognition. Envy craves superiority. If pride is idolatry focused on me, then envy is idolatry focused on you. Pride says, I must be first. Envy says, you must not be greater than me. We see this very clearly in the life of King Saul. Look with me at verse 8. We read, And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me, they've ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? Do you hear the anger? Do you hear the resentment? Instead of celebrating David's tremendous success on the battlefield, if you remember, just one chapter earlier, David had defeated the giant Goliath. He had liberated the people of Israel. Instead of celebrating that, Saul is consumed by anger. Instead of of celebrating his own success on the battlefield, Saul was a great military leader. Uh, Throughout the the book of 1 Samuel, we read about him defeating the Moabites and the Edomites and the Ammonites. He defeated a whole ton of ites. Anytime he went to war against the ites, he defeated them. But instead of celebrating that and saying, look at the victory that God has given me, He's poisoned by resentment. The people love David more than they love me. They respect David more than they respect me. I can't live like this. I must take him down. I must destroy him. Have, anyone, have any of you seen the movie Amadeus? It's sort of an older movie. It was, came out in 1984. It was best picture in 1984, a long time ago is a story about a composer named Salieri who's interacting with uh, the greatest composer of all time, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Salieri is very talented in his own way, but he's completely overshadowed by the singular genius of Mozart, who is, again, perhaps the greatest composer of all time. Now, the tragedy in the story as it moves along is the fact that Salieri was so consumed by envy of Mozart that he couldn't appreciate Mozart's genius. But not only could he not appreciate Mozart's genius, he couldn't appreciate his own talents and abilities. One of the greatest lines in the film comes at a point where Salieri says, I heard the music of true forgiveness filling the theater, conferring on all who sat there perfect absolution. God was singing through this little man to all the world. Unstoppable. Making my defeat more bitter with every passing bar. Envy sucks the joy out of life. Envy fills us with anger and bitterness and resentment. Envy keeps us From hearing the music of heaven. That's what envy is. What does envy do? Second big question. How does envy tear us down? Well, we saw already that envy makes us angry and bitter and resentful, cynical even. But that's just the beginning. Look at what envy did to King Saul in this story. Envy turned King Saul into a completely irrational person. Verse 10, the next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved in his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand and Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was so un- uh, Uh, completely overwhelmed and consumed by envy that he literally threw a spear at david not once but twice david avoided him twice he threw the spear it's a completely irrational thing to do it's like elvis shooting his television set because he didn't like what was on the evening news and yet that's what what envy does envy makes us irrational when we are consumed with envy someone has something that we don't have we go downtown and we throw bricks through windows we rampage and we destroy that's the secular version why do we do this how does tearing someone else down build us up how does tearing someone else down in some in any way improve our lives it doesn't at all when we're consumed with envy, we go online and we hurl verbal bricks through the windows of other churches. And we say, we, we tear them down as if somehow tearing them down will enable us to preach the gospel in our community. To be agents of mercy and peace and healing and shalom. As if tearing someone else down builds us up. It's completely irrational. Envy makes us irrational. Envy also turned Saul into a fearful person. We read over and over again in this story that Saul was afraid of David. Verse 14, and David had success in all of his undertakings for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. Now, why would Saul, who's the king of Israel, be afraid of David, who at this point in the story was becoming a great warrior, but was still a a court musician, a, a shepherd, a young man? It's because he was afraid that the people, in their exuberance over his success, would make David the king. And if the people made David the king, Saul would lose the one thing that he really cared about in life. Throughout the story in 1 Samuel, we see that Saul cared more about being the king than anything else. He loved being the king more than he loved God. He loved being the king more than he loved his best friend, Samuel. They were at one time best friends. He loved being the king more than he loved his own son, Jonathan. He loved being the king more than he loved his servant, David. Envy makes us fearful people. Envy says, look at what you don't have. You're empty. You're an orphan. Compared to this other person, you have nothing. The gospel says, look at what you do have. You're full. You're part of God's family. Because of Jesus, you have everything. I think that's what the Apostle John was talking about when he wrote, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. See, if you know that God loves you, if you know that God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to lay down his life for you, you'll never be afraid. You'll never be anxious. You'll never be worried or insecure But on the other hand, if you question God's love for you, by questioning God's plan for your life and his provision for your life, you will always be fearful. You'll always be afraid. You'll always be anxious. You'll always be insecure. Because you just never know. Does God truly love me? Does God truly care? Envy makes us fearful like Saul. The gospel makes us bold and courageous like David. Envy made Saul a dishonest person. Starting in verse 17, Saul told a series of lies, all designed to build himself up and to tear himself down. First, he said, Hey, uh, David, I would like you to marry my daughter Merab. Here she is. Would you like to marry her? And at the last moment, when he was about to marry her, he said, Just kidding. I've given her to another man. Maybe you could play the liar at their wedding. You know, you could be a, a, a groomsman, or maybe you could uh, be an usher at the wedding, but I found somebody else, maybe you should move on. Then later, when it's revealed that uh, Michal, his daughter, loved David, and David loved her, they arrange another wedding, and he said, oh, sure, you can marry my daughter, of course, but first, I've got a, a little uh, thing that you can do for me. I want you to go out and to the Philistines, this very... Angry, uh, very uh, audacious army that's been fighting us for years and years, and I want you to go circumcise a hundred Philistines who don't want to be circumcised, okay, and then uh, come bring the foreskins back to me, which again is kind of gross, I think we just need to acknowledge that uh, and then and then oh, and then you can marry my my daughter now of course, he had no intention of he never thought David would succeed, but not only did David succeed, he killed a hundred. He killed two hundred of the Philistines. Why? Because God was with him. But the point here is that envy makes us dishonest. Envy will make you a liar. Envy will make you a cheat. Envy will make you cut ethical corners because envy makes us willing to do whatever we need to do to get what we don't have because we think we deserve it. Finally, we see that envy made Saul a destructive person. Envy completely destroyed his relationship with God, completely destroyed his relationship with David, it completely destroyed his relationship with his son, Jonathan, it completely destroyed his relationship with his two daughters, Merab and Michal. Jesus' brother, James, the Apostle James, talks about the destructive power of envy in James chapter 4. He writes, You desire and you do not have, that's envy, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, again, envy, so you fight and you quarrel. Envy poisons our hearts. Envy destroys our relationship with God And it destroys our relationship with other people because envy says, it's all about me. Third big question, how does the gospel build us up? Now, the surprising thing is, as we look at this, is that the gospel initially agrees with Saul's assessment of things. The gospel initially says, you're right, Saul. You're right, Joel. You're right, Pinewoods Church. You are missing something. But it's not money, and it's not fame, and it's not beauty, and it's not success. It's grace. It's mercy. It's joy. It's salvation. It's justice. It's righteousness. It's holiness. It's obedience. That's what you're missing. And Jesus, our Savior, says, it is my great joy to give that to you by laying down my life on the cross. Envy says you are not enough and you'll never be enough. But the gospel of Jesus Christ says you are enough and you will always be enough because Jesus is enough. And so the question is, how do you get that into your life? How do you believe that Jesus is enough in a world filled with Instagram models and visions of success and glory and beauty and joy that we're saturated with all the time, wherever we go? We cannot hide from the things that the world offers to us, which fuels our envy. How do we get that into our heart? The answer is faith, which is a journey, not an epiphany. Faith is not this great moment on the mountaintop where we realize all of a sudden, ah, Jesus is enough. Envy is foolish. Greed is foolish. Why can't I simply rest in what God has given me? I wish it was that easy. I wish it was that easy as simply acknowledging the truth and having that aha moment on the mountain and that, was, that would be enough. But it's not. It's not that easy because faith is a journey. Three times in this passage, verse 12, verse 14, and verse 28, we are told that the Lord, Yahweh, was with David. In other words, David walked with the Lord, and the Lord walked with David. Where does contentment come from? It comes from Emmanuel, God with us. In order to have true contentment, you have to walk with Jesus, and Jesus has to walk with you. That's faith. You have to wrestle with God like Jacob wrestled with Jesus in the book of Genesis. That's, by the way, what the word Israel means. He wrestles with God. You have to go to the mountain, and you have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You have to walk with Jesus. On special days like Sunday morning, you have to walk with Jesus on not so special days like Tuesday morning. You have to be someone who reads your Bible, someone who prays, someone who baptizes your children, someone who simply comes to the Lord's table. We sing, we pray, we repent, we laugh together, we cry together, and day by day, moment by moment, slowly but surely, Years upon years, something incredible happens. Our faith grows. And before we know it, we find ourselves saying, Jesus, you are more than enough. You have given me, Lord God, all that I have ever needed and all that I will ever need. And we start to believe it. Those words which we think could never be true become true as the Spirit applies it to our heart. Because Jesus is good, because Jesus laid down his life for you on the cross, live your life, not theirs. Be content with what God has given you. Rejoice in God's provision and plan for your life. Don't worry about his plan for other people. Celebrate God's perfect plan for you. Envy tears us down. The gospel builds us up. Let's go to God in prayer. Oh, Lord our God, we thank you for all the gifts you have given us. Supremely, we thank you for Jesus. I pray, Lord God, that you would make us content, that we would not be like King Saul, who was completely destroyed by his envy for David, but may we have peace in our hearts by your Spirit. Help us live a life of faith, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.